Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. Great to be here this week, as always. Eric, nice to see you this week. Good to see you. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Gorgeous nice day. To take your dog for a walk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we like to heavily promote walking your dog here on The Dog Show because it is one uh, just fundamental way every day that you can get your dog some Mental and physical exercise, so important for their physical and emotional well-being. And uh, oftentimes I say to even take your dog somewhere new, give them some new sights and smells to work out, some stimulation. A lot of dogs are bored. One thing that I really, um, one of the many things that really stood out to me in my interview a couple weeks ago with Temple Grandin, which I'm still processing, (laughs) was so awesome. Um, if you missed that interview, you can find it on our website, dogradioshow.com, and also as a free podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and you can download all of our over 300 episodes for free. And uh, also it's posted to our Facebook page as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Temple Grandin said that um, in her book, Animals Make Us Human, there was a quote, and I'm not reading, um, not saying this verbatim, but she was talking to how she feels. She was talking a lot about the challenges of dogs and leading these really fenced-in lives, fenced-in on you know these leash laws, and that in you know they're necessary, especially in the city, to keep them safe so that they're not getting hit by cars and lost and all that stuff. But but that they end up. She said, in some ways, it seems like they almost are like zoo animals in really fancy enclosures where they're just, you know, they're in the house and they're in the backyard and they kind of never leave. And that's uh, really not what they're designed for. So the point being. I think a lot of people are leading those same lives. That's (laughs) a good point. Zoo animals in fancy surroundings. And that's something that's nice about having a dog is, uh, you know, I know if this is true for me. And I'm a very active person anyway, but that sort of really quality time to get out somewhere beautiful, which is easy to find in the Seattle area, and just slow down, you know, put the phone down and just go for a walk with your dog, you know, be present. So we like to promote that here on the dog show. Absolutely. So uh, one topic, now I have a guest with me in the booth, which is such a treat to have somebody actually here in person in the booth. I have Nancy Bowman, who's the chair of the Epilepsy Subcommittee of the St. Bernard Club of America. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julie. It's nice to have you here. I met Nancy at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show, and we're going to talk about all sorts of different things in our interview, including canine epilepsy and Uh, her breed, which is St. Bernard's. But before we get started, I just wanted to um, dedicate this show to Gabby, the golden retriever who just passed away yesterday. Uh, She is, uh, she was the dog of a woman who um, I've had on the show a number of times and who I'm very connected with here in the local community, um, Jean Hample, uh, her golden retriever, Gabby, just passed away yesterday of, uh, from cancer. And I'm dedicating today's show to her, and I thought I was um, chatting with Nancy, um, my guest today, before the show, and I was just sharing about how I was going to dedicate today's show to Gabby, who just passed away, and and she was, you know, and then she was sharing about Tommy and, you know, one of her dogs who just passed away, you know, fairly recently 
from epilepsy, which is why you've now been inspired to do all of this work that we're going to talk about around canine epilepsy to really raise awareness and try to decrease its prevalence in dog breeds. And then I was sharing, of course, about my experience and specifically when I lost Chewy, my boy, back in 2009. And if you want to go back and listen to that show, I actually did uh, a week and a half after he passed away. I just just talked for an hour on the sh- on the air and actually invited people to call in. And uh, we don't really do call-in anymore, but back then we did. And um, people called in and shared some of their stories about pets who they had loved and lost. And, um, you know, it's something like, you know, you were sharing, Nancy, like when a family member dies, a human family member dies, you get supported by, you know, your workplace. And, you know, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. But that you don't necessarily get that if, if you lose your pet. And I'll tell you, it is as devastating you know it's it's a little bit different but it hits your heart intensely it can for sure it absolutely does and I remember going to work the first day after I I lost Tommy and uh, there were a few people that really understood it's like losing a family member but there were a lot of people that just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said well it's just a dog yeah they just don't have that that sense of and then they got a black eye no I'm just kidding yeah (laughs) (laughs) just kidding um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, great now that there's support, you know, there's the A-Help Project, which is an organization I've been involved with over the years, Animal Hospice, End of Life, and Palliative Care, and they certainly do do a lot of grief support for people. Um, you were talking, Nancy, about the group that meets at the Seattle Humane Society on yes. Saturday mornings, and yeah. I did a show where I interviewed one of the volunteers who facilitates those groups, pet loss support groups. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it hurts. It hurts a lot. It can be really, really devastating. And it's it's an opportunity um, in dedicating this show to Gabby and her family um, to just acknowledge to people, for anyone who might be listening who has a heavy heart, who just recently lost a pet, we get it. And um, And also, in this case, to raise awareness about canine cancer. And I've done some shows about that with the founder of Chase Away Canine Cancer, um, just something I think it's one in three dogs in their lifetime will be um, have a run in with cancer, which is uh, just rough odds there. So uh, just our our warmest thoughts um, to Jean Hample and her family as they are adjusting to life without their golden retriever. I know Gabby led a very, very blessed life with them. She did nose work. She did all sorts of stuff. So I do celebrate that when a dog lives a very loved, wonderful life with a family. So. So um, now, Nancy, you, through the loss of one of your St. Bernard's, Tommy, and how old was Tommy when he passed? Tommy was not quite three and a half years old when he passed. So very young. Now, St. Bernard, as many of you probably know, is a very large breed. And very large breed dogs do tend to have shorter lifespans, so that's true for saints. So... What is their average lifespan, do you know? Yeah, I would say for a St. Bernard, it, it really can depend, but on average, 9 to 10 years. Okay. I have seen some live as long as 13, mm-hmm. but that is fairly unusual. So yeah. I'd say on average, 9 to 10. Okay. Three and a half, though, certainly way too young, way too young right, yes. regardless of size. And your and Tommy had epilepsy. Yes, he did. 
Um, and in, in St. Bernard's, as in many breeds, um, seizures can be caused by many different things. They're not necessarily epilepsy. They can be caused by abnormalities. If a dog were to get into a toxin, mm. can cause a seizure. Mm-hmm. If a dog were in kidney failure or liver failure, it could change the blood chemistry, causing a seizure. could be caused by a brain tumor. And depending on the cause, it can happen at just about any age of the dog. So how did you know that Tommy had epilepsy and that it wasn't? It's a long story. He had his first seizure the beginning of November last year, and it was a single seizure. So we immediately took him to the vet to have all of his chemistries checked. Thyroid is another thing that can cause a seizure. Mm -hmm. Everything came back normal. Mm -hmm. So we hoped that this was just a one-time fluke thing, and you always in your heart hope that, oh, well, this didn't really happen. Nothing more is ever going to happen. And we were fine for about a month. Mm -hmm. And then he had a cluster of seizures, which means that there were three seizures um, within a period of probably 45 minutes. Mm. Each seizure lasted a little less than a minute. Which feels like an eternity probably when it's happening. It feels like hours. Yeah. (laughs) So at that time, we took him down to the emergency vet, um, and they did full blood panel workup. They kept him overnight because they put him on IV Valium to prevent him from having another seizure. Mm -hmm. We... um, he was, he was my heart dog. He was my husband's heart dog. And we really wanted to do everything we could to determine what was causing these seizures. So unusual, this is actually unusual because it is pretty expensive. We did a full workup. So he was given, he had an MRI done to see if there was any abnormalities in his brain, if there mm-hmm. was a tumor or something that might be causing these. He also had a spinal tap done to see if there was an infection in the brain that might have been causing seizures. Everything came back normal. So immediately they term it as idiopathic epilepsy, which means they haven't found a cause for it. Mm-hmm. Now, given the age that these seizures developed, um, we know from studies that have been done in many different breeds, and there's numerous breeds that, that you see genetic-type seizures, um, it's very likely that there was a genetic cause for this, although the inheritance pattern really is not clearly understood, and it, it's probably going to be many years before it is clearly understood. Mm. So your um, this is in all sorts of different ways. I've met people who have had an experience, a negative experience. I mean, uh, certainly a lot of stories where it's positive experience too. But something has happened. Their their dog has passed away for whatever reason, um, or not, or but has been through something, and that out of that experience, the human has gone on to do, in your case, chair the Epilepsy Subcommittee for the St. Bernard Club of America. I know in Susan Thixton's case, she started truthaboutpetfood.com. Sarah Royster is the founder of Chase Away Canine Cancer. I think they've almost raised a million dollars now for canine, for wow, canine cancer research um, because she lost her her dog Chase yeah. to cancer, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's nice to at least see that, that really to witness the power of the love that we have for our pets and how that motivates us to make, you know, be like, okay, this happened to me. I don't want anyone to have to go through this because this was horrible. And I don't want other other dogs to have to go through this or whatever. So let's take a look at this and do something about it. And yeah. Really, and that's exactly the way I feel. I, yeah. I wouldn't want anyone to go through this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel, you know, Tommy was my heart dog and this is a way that he continues to live on by me trying to turn this negative, horrible thing into something positive mm-hmm. that can 
prevent this in the future, hopefully. You know, something that I have been, um, it's like a, um, it's like a thing now. People say heart dog. Yeah. You know, and it, it's been kind of, I think, sort of more recent that this is now like a phrase. And like you said it, and I know what you mean. And I've said it because I've certainly heard it before. And I know what, like, we where we have, there's certain dogs. And of course, because you have other dogs yeah. um, who you love. You know, we have five dogs. And I love them all very, very, very much. And then there's, you get certain dogs in your life that just really get you. They sure do. And really it's, get you. I know we talked about this earlier. I adore every one of my dogs. Yeah. But there is something about Tommy that, wow. Mm-hmm. He Sometimes I've referred to him as my four-legged soulmate. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of mention that because I haven't talked about that on the show before. But, gosh, I've certainly heard that phrase in conversation with dog people over the years more and more and more and now it's kind of a thing yeah heart dog yeah okay oh yeah i know what you mean about that (laughs) so um well we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to talk some more about the breed of saint bernards and also give some more information about epilepsy and the work that nancy and other members of the saint bernard club of america are um, just getting going on in their efforts to raise awareness about canine epilepsy in the hopes of decreasing its prevalence in these breeds that are prone to it and we'll name those breeds as well so we'll be back in just a few minutes you're listening to the dog show with julie forbes The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to best practitioner Dr. Nels Rasmussen, we cover the world of animals. This week, March 22nd, we'll start with a behavior training and healing Sunday with me, open phone lines for your calls and questions, then Aline Fortgang from Friends of Woodland Park Zoo Elephants joins me. She'll tell us about the lawsuit and the latest details on our efforts to get bamboo and chai to a sanctuary instead of another zoo. Your help is needed. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk. AM 1150. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, 
A-Y-R-E.com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. The new mainstream of talk radio. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. That's a pretty sweet golden retriever jam there, Eric. And it's by the super furry animals, which, of course, golden retrievers are. So Golden retriever. That's nice. Eric does such a great job of finding songs that pertain to what I'm talking about. You know, you mentioned thyroid. He found a song about thyroid once. You're kidding me. Yeah, I'll never forget that one. All right, we're back with Nancy Bowman, who's the chair of the Epilepsy Subcommittee of the St. Bernard Club of America. We met at the Seattle Kennel Club Dog Show just a couple weeks ago. And um, now, Nancy, just to give a little bit of a background, now you know a thing or two about medicine and chemistry. Yeah, I actually, I'm not a veterinarian, but I do have an MD degree and I have a PhD in biochemistry. So I do have that scientific curiosity that when something (laughs) strikes, I like to dive into the details and learn as much as I can about it. Um, And that's a lot of what I have done as, you know, as Tommy was first diagnosed with epilepsy, I was certainly interested in finding out as much as I could about it. Yeah. Um, So you lost your dog, one of your St. Bernard's, Tommy, at the age of was three and a half? Not quite three and a half. Not quite three and a half. Yeah. To epilepsy. And um, out of that experience have been inspired to do something about it. And so um, tell us, and you started a little bit in the first segment, but... Will you just talk a little bit about what epilepsy is? Yeah, certainly I'd be happy to. Um, You know, I mentioned in the first segment that seizures can be caused by numerous different toxins, chemistries in the blood, tumors. True epilepsy uh, or idiopathic epilepsy is when a veterinarian can't really find a cause, and it's thought to be genetic. Um, In the case of Tommy, he had what's known as grand mal seizures, and these are generalized seizures or tonic-clonic seizures. And to kind of help you understand what those are is the dog will basically, in the entire body, will start shaking, um, seizing, um, muscles go very stiff and and shake, and the dog becomes unconscious. Um, It can last anywhere from you know, 30 seconds to several minutes. Wow. The longer that the seizure lasts, uh, the more danger it is. dangerous it is. The dog's body temperature can actually increase, mm. and there can be brain damage and damage to other organs. Mm. So it From is all the muscle contraction? Muscle contraction, as well as the dog not being able to breathe and get enough oxygen in. Uh-huh. Mm. So it's really important if your dog does develop epilepsy to see a veterinarian, and get appropriate treatment. Yeah. And there are a number of treatments uh, out there. Some of them aren't too expensive. Some of them are extremely expensive. Yeah. And as you can imagine, in the case of a St. Bernard that weighs 180 pounds, yeah. um, Tommy's medications were upwards of 700 to $750 a month. Wow. Yeah. Well, he was lucky to be with you guys who were able to take such good care of him while he was with you still. So. Well, we were very hopeful the medications would get the seizures under control. And yeah. um, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. We A couple of days before he passed, we'd added in another medication. And I'm very thankful we did that because I feel that we did everything we possibly could. Yeah. 
And then he ended up going into status epilepticus one night, which is where a seizure just will not stop. Mm. And he actually seized for very close to two hours before he finally passed. Mm. And so they're unconscious during this time. They are. So that's good. That is a good thing. And that's, as we were with him, I kept telling my husband, remember, he's unconscious. He doesn't know what's happening. Right. That was, gave us some relief. So seizure does not equal epilepsy. That's correct. So seizures can happen. You know, I was doing this research a while ago that stretched. I have an undergrad in animal science. Okay. So I have a scientific curiosity as well. And I certainly dusted off the degree when I was researching chemical flea medications um, because I've noticed a link in behavior, uh, anxious behavior, phobic behavior, and these, some of these chemical flea medications in certain dogs. So I was like, what is going on? So I found these studies. I mean, I did hours of research over time and found all these studies and try, you know, made sense of what they were saying. Because I'm like, well, they say that they're safe for, for you know, your dog, but then they say, you know, don't touch it. Wash your hands. Might, may cause miscarriage in pregnant women. And it's like, okay, well, I, you know, how does that make sense? And, uh, well, the reason I'm talking about this is because I found that, like, what the specific pesticide that I looked up was fipronil, which is the active ingredient in Frontline. And what it does is it blocks the chloride channels in neurons. And it blocks the passage of chloride ions. And I don't remember, you probably know, maybe, um, I don't remember if it was into or out of the cell um, and that that causes uh, hyper excitation of the nerve cell and that one of the symptoms of that is seizures and that actually anticonvulsants, sedatives, anti-anxiety medications open chloride channels and that's how they work in the body. Now I'm oversimplifying, right? But I found this that's out. That's the basics. Right. Yeah, that's the basics of how they work. I, mean, I was like, well, no wonder. Yeah. You know. Blocking the chloride ions, and it really also mm-hmm. just impressed me that we have such similar anatomy to fleas, in, you know, in some ways. In some ways. In some ways, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. Um, so seizures do not equal epilepsy. And then you also, I know, wanted to say that a lot of dogs are treated successfully with epilepsy and that it's, epilepsy is not a death sentence. That's absolutely true. In fact, I have a good friend who has a St. Bernard who's had a few seizures, um, and he's been on a drug that's commonly um, given by veterinarians, phenobarbital, and has now gone a year without a seizure. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a Facebook page, which I can talk a little more b- about later. Well, what is the name the, of it while okay, we're on it? Okay, while we're on it, it's called Canine Epilepsy Awareness. Um, each word is capitalized. The first is spelled out, C-A-N-I-N-E. So it's Canine Epilepsy Awareness. Um, but... In that, on that Facebook page, I'm always trying to figure out what do I want to convey to people that are uh, living with dogs and experiencing epilepsy. And I've posted a lot of articles about how to live with a dog, how um, a dog can be successfully treated and lead a normal life. And it was interesting because um, a couple of nights ago, somebody responded, just commented on the post and said, why does it why is it always made out to be a fairy tale and so easy to deal with? It's not easy to deal with. It's mm. difficult. And that night I posted my story and how difficult it was dealing with Tommy and his epilepsy. Yeah. And I think people really appreciated that. It was um, you know, something that they could relate to. It's definitely not a death sentence. There are a lot of very successful treatments. 
but it's not always a perfect story. And yeah. that was the case with us. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people, you know, in, in other, all, I can think of a number of things just off the top of my head, but I think we have a media in media anyway, have a tendency to, I think maybe, well, in some cases try to just talk about the feel good stuff um, and in some cases, it's the opposite for sure, just like any other media. But I know that's true for the service dog industry. You hear all these really beautiful, true stories about the profound difference that service dogs can make for people with disabilities. But how many stories do you hear about service dog welfare? Mm-hmm. Not many. And it's a big deal. It's something that really needs to be talked about that is is now more and more Um but I understand that. And I think also just people appreciate the truth and that you're speaking from your personal experience. You know, you went through this. So there's probably a lot of people that did you find or were there people who were like, I like I went through this, too, or I'm going through this now or. There's a lot of people that post about going through very similar situation. And I've also had a lot of people thank me for providing a place where they can share their experiences and uh, feel that people understand them because they're going through or have gone through exactly the same thing themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, so many things are really rough to go through, but I really can imagine because of the nature of seizures and how, uh, what an event it is to witness that it's, it must really take its toll. It is. And, um, you know, I think with any breed, it's devastating. As an owner Uh, With a dog with epilepsy, you're constantly in a state of anxiety and on guard, just waiting waiting for the next one. Holding your breath, kind of. having a dog that is 180 pounds, you could imagine in a state of a grand mal seizure, Mm. it's not easy to handle. Yeah. Um, There were a lot of times, usually my husband was there when Tommy would have his seizures. If I had been there myself and had to move him Mm. or make sure that other things around him were moved so that he'd be safe while he was having a seizure... It could have been a real challenge in some situations. Yeah. So, so seizures can be caused by a lot of different, um, a lot of different sources. And um, epilepsy, is it true, is usually diagnosed as a result of not being able to find another cause. Exactly. Is there a specific way that the seizures occur? That's that's common to epilepsy as opposed to other types that would might be like environmental toxin or something like that? Usually with genetic epilepsy, it tends to start in an age group, depending on the breed, somewhere between about two and five years of age. Okay. Um, if seizures start much younger than that, there's often another cause. Maybe um, pups hadn't got enough oxygen during birth, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. In uh, later stage epilepsy or seizures developing later in age, it can quite often be a tumor or some other body chemistry that's starting to mess up due mm-hmm. to age. And then they'll look for a tumor like what you yeah. did. You did an MRI to see yeah. if there was something going on that was causing it. Yeah. Now, there are certain breeds. There are. So we're talking about St. Bernard's. Cause that's yeah. your breed. But um, there are some um, several other breeds that are sort of known to have this genetic trait? There are many breeds. Many that, breeds. Many breeds. I, I have a list in front of me Perfect. that I could, it would take me 10 minutes to read them all. No, it wouldn't <laughs> take you 10 minutes. But, you know, breeds that are known for having, you know, a propensity for seizures yeah. that's likely, are likely genetic are beagles, boxers, cocker spaniels, collies, dachshunds, dalmatians, German shepherds, golden retrievers, Irish setters, Irish wolfhounds, vizlas, 
wire fox terriers, schnauzers, uh, pointers, um, and St. Bernard's just happen to be one of these breeds. And they have not identified a genetic marker for epilepsy. No, they haven't. Um, There have been quite a few studies done looking at different breeds, and they have determined some um, commonalities. It it seems to be breed-specific, how how epilepsy could be inherited. Mm. Um, There's a lot of question. Does it need to come from both sides of a dog's pedigree, or does it only need to come from one side? And from what I've read, I think it could be very dependent on the breed that you're dealing with. So would that be asking whether it's dominant or recessive yeah, trait, I, one side versus both sides? Right. Yeah. Although I think with epilepsy, it's going to be a very much more complicated genetic pattern, inheritance pattern than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. if it's breed specific, then you can't yeah. generalize. Right. So in some breeds, it might it might need to come from both sides. And in other breeds, maybe it comes from just one. That's or, possible. And then it's also, I imagine that you know, if you have, and maybe you can, maybe you've, you know, can speak to this because I'm thinking of this in my own head as a question. Um, within litters, do you have, so let's say it's okay, the the trait's there, um, you know, and in Tommy's case, so he had epilepsy and it took his life and, you know, did his, do his litter mates also have seizures? There was another litter mate, actually, who also died of seizures. Okay. So that, again, points to the fact that this likely is a genetic component yeah. to the inheritance of this. And then other litter mates that didn't. Other litter that mates don't that don't have didn't. seizures at all. That's right. Hmm. So that's an interesting kind of yeah. part of it as well as yeah. the, of the genetic conversation yeah. as well. What would have it come, you know, yeah. be expressed? It's such an interesting it's so interesting talking about, like, when I get into scientific conversations, it, my mind just starts to go, like, yeah. and then and then, I, and then I get to a point where I can't comprehend it. It's like yeah. trying to imagine what a dog's sense of smell is like. You yeah. get to a certain point in depth in the conversation, and then it's like the brain is like, okay, yeah. I can't comprehend anymore. Yeah. Our human brain. <laughs> so um, so you, you gave us a list of some of the breeds. Um, I know you said before, too, beagles were... really that it's really prevalent in beagles. Yeah, I actually spoke with a woman that um, is on the health panel for the National Beagle Club, Mm -hmm. and it's become a real problem in their breed. Mm -hmm. They have actually different types of genetic epilepsy. They have one type that can start very early in life, Mm. one that starts midlife, um, typical to the genetic epilepsy seen in St. Bernard's, and then they have another genetic one that can start at eight or nine years of age. Mm. Um, so it looks like they're dealing with more than one type of epilepsy within the same breed. What do, uh, do we know what actually is going on in the body? I mean, other than what I mentioned earlier with the chloride ions, but like yeah. what, what happens that, um, in the body, like physiologically that causes like, it's like, okay, this happened. And so now you're going to have a seizure. Yeah, so what actually happens is very much like you said, Julie, is the ion channels in the neurons in the brain, um, they behave uh, not the way that they're supposed to. And so you get this electrical impulses and the neurons firing uncontrollably. And because of these neurons in the brain firing that way, it stimulates the muscles. Um, It makes the dog or whoever has epilepsy unconscious and um, they they just go into a state Mm. of muscle contraction and and shaking. Mm. 
A function of ion channels being messed with, huh? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's too bad that that's what pesticides do to the body. Um, it's, we're, we're so reckless sometimes. I feel. It's like, don't mess with the ion channels of the nerve cells. You can't just mess with stuff like that. Things are going to happen. Not to everybody, but to enough. So, um, so you are doing some work now. So let's talk about, okay, so your Facebook page is Canine Epilepsy Awareness. And there, you want to look for the one that has the picture of the St. Bernard. That's the and one. And that has all, I think the picture of the St. Bernard, you know you're in the right place. Another way to tell is that it's canine epilepsy and awareness are all capitalized. But just click on that picture of the St. Bernard and that'll get you to Nancy's page and uh, the work that they're doing there. So you can find them on Facebook, Canine Epilepsy Awareness, and just make sure to click on the one that has the St. Bernard um, photo because there is another one. And... Um, so what are you guys all, so this is a new, you're meeting with your sub epilepsy subcommittee for the first time in person soon. Right. So we have just formed this committee. We've had a couple of teleconferences, which are great. We're still formulating ideas on how we can increase awareness of epilepsy in our breed in particular mm-hmm. and find ways to um, create tools for breeders to make informed decisions about breeding in the future. We're having our first face-to-face meeting down in California and Sacramento next month, which I'm really excited about. Um, and we're going to be formulating some proposals and ideas that we can present to the St. Bernard Club of America. And one of the things that you are um, interested in is supporting research. Is that right? Yes. And this is actually something I'd like to mention. I've, as I've talked to people that have dogs with epilepsy or had dogs with epilepsy, They were not aware that there's a study going on at the University of Missouri Mm. that you can send blood samples of your dogs to. And the purpose of this study is trying to find genetic markers on the DNA that could be used as predictive markers um, to determine whether a dog might be lucky or might be liable to produce epileptic puppies. And that would help breeders potentially test for, like they do with Anything else that's uh, hereditary, yeah. right, that they yeah. can, and I know, you know, good breeders will do this, all, you know, routinely where they'll have the, the dogs checked, you know, blood work, checking for whatever it is in particular for that breed, you know, eyes, hips, blah, 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 to make sure that they're not passing these on, yeah. passing these kinds of things on. And if right. the dog comes up with it, then they're just taken out of a breeding program, which right. is how it should be. So this is, uh, you're, you know, hoping to support the studies so that they can find the markers and then therefore test for them so that breeders can have their dogs tested. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So is that your kind of like, as far as you can tell, I know that you guys are still sort of coming together around this and and, um, there's lots of ideas out. But is this one of the main things that you're wanting to do with this, with your yeah, work? Yeah, this study that's going on at the University of Missouri, actually um, the St. Bernard Club of America has been supporting this study up mm-hmm. until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it is a study that we would like to talk more about in April and hopefully continue to support financially because I think it's a really good one. So anybody who has a dog who has had a seizure, or is it a dog that's been diagnosed with epilepsy? They're really looking for dogs with epilepsy okay. or, or, 
you know, a lot of dogs that have recurrent seizures, they haven't actually been diagnosed as epilepsy because the MRIs and everything are, are a lot to go through. But any dog that's had recurrent seizures okay. would be a good candidate for this study. The other thing that they're looking for is um, blood samples of any relatives that have not been affected by seizures. Because by having those, they can do comparisons and see right. if there's a difference okay. um, in helping to determine a genetic marker. Okay. So if you happen to know that one of your dog's litter mates has epilepsy and your dog doesn't, then they would also benefit from both, samples yes. from both. Yes, that's correct. And how do people find this? Uh, so it's at the University of Missouri. Do you know how do people find out if they're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to support this? Just Yeah, so actually I do have the, the website where you can find out more information about the study. If you were to do a search engine um, search on canine epilepsy, University of Missouri, you mm. would come across it. Okay. The actual website is www.canine-epilepsy.net. Okay. And that brings them to University of Missouri's study. Yes, that doing. that's okay. correct. And it has all the instructions on there of which dogs they're looking for samples from and how to do the sample collection and where to send it to. Yep. Okay. Um, so is there anything else about epilepsy that you'd like to share? Same, you know, in just about the whole world of it, make sure we say everything there yeah, is to Yeah, I say just, about it. you know, I, I kind of, you know, the, not only do I want to try to find ways of helping prevent this in the future, but particularly with my Facebook page, I really want to provide support to people that are dealing with this. Having gone through it firsthand, I really understand how difficult it is for an owner. Mm. It's very emotionally draining. Um, it's difficult to leave the house because you don't know if your dog's going to have a seizure while you're away and need your help. Um, one of the things that, that we did that was very helpful, we never left the house for long, yeah. but we would keep Tommy in an enclosed place where he, we know he'd be safe, and we got a little webcam, a drop cam that we mounted on the wall so that Anytime we were out, we could take a look and, and see if he was doing fine just by looking on her phone yeah. or iPad or whatever. It was very helpful. Now, how many other dogs do, do, do you have? We have five other dogs. Five other dogs. Yeah. All St. Bernard's? No, one's a beagle. One's a beagle. Yeah, he rules the house. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, and how did your other dogs, because I assume they witnessed these seizures, did they... Did they, re you know, did you know, any of them have a reaction to it? Or We always scurried the other dogs away into another room as soon as it happened. Uh -huh. Because I was always a little worried. I didn't know how the other dogs would react. Yeah. And as soon as Tommy would start having a seizure, my number one priority was keeping him safe. Sure. So we, and if fortunately, my husband and I were always at home together. So one of us would scurry the other dogs away and the other one would watch Tommy. Um it ha usually happened so quickly, I don't think they were aware that yeah. he was starting to have a seizure. Mm -hmm. Were they any different after it was over? Um, Tommy was very different. He would go into the postictal phase where he would be very confused, very agitated. That postictal phase can last from a few minutes to days. Because you said that there were four stages of seizures? Or three, three, stages. three stages. So okay. they start with an aura um, where they can act very differently. It depends on the dog. They can begin getting agitated. They can look for comfort from their owner mm. um, or just look, you know, seem somewhat confused. And then sometime after that, they can actually go into the full seizure phase. Once the seizure's over, they become post-ictal. And that's when you 
really have to watch them because they'll walk around very confused, bang into walls. Mm. Some can lose hearing for a while. Some can lose sight for a while. Mm. And that can last anywhere from a few minutes to a few days. Wow. How long did that stage last for Tommy? Tommy's usually only lasted five to ten minutes. So we were fortunate with that. Mm. And then once he got out of that last stage, he was just sort of back to normal? Back to normal. Yeah, Mm. we would go two, three weeks in between seizures where he was just a normal dog and he actually did therapy dog work, and we did manage to do a few therapy dog sessions. In Which between. we're going to talk we're about when talk we come back it. from our next break. Yeah. Um, oh, I just had another question, but I, I just lost it. Oh, um, you know, I'm curious for somebody who's understands, you know, unfortunately, epilepsy so well and has lived with a dog with it. Something that's so interesting, and maybe we should, you know, end with end the segment with this question and then pick it back up because we're going to talk about therapy dogs and service dogs and therapy dogs are not the same thing for anyone who's listening but that they don't know for dogs who alert to for dogs who alert their humans who are epileptic that they haven't figured out what they're sensing but I I just found that interesting that you were talking about this this aura stage which is the first stage and you know I mean who dogs are so sensitive to us in so many different ways and in ways that we probably can't even comprehend but it it is curious that they they can't really train for that at all because the dogs either do it or not yeah it is interesting I'm I'm just that just piqued my curiosity about what is it that they're sensing is it a change in behavior or smell or an energetic who knows what but I don't know that just kind of uh came up for me for that okay well why don't we take a um break and when we come back i'll be talking more with nancy bowman who's the chair of the epilepsy subcommittee of the saint bernard club of america if you've missed any part of this interview or any of our over 300 episodes you can find them all archived on our website dogradioshow.com you can also go to itunes and download them all for free and then you can listen anywhere Uh, Lots of hours there waiting for you. So um, check that out. And then when we come back, I and Nancy, which you just alluded to, you have some experience with Tommy as a therapy dog, which is where a handler and their dog go out and provide the therapeutic presence of a dog to someone else. So like a children's hospital or um, nursing home or, you know, something like that. And, um, Darcy and I, my wife, just on Monday, we went to the University of Washington campus with a couple of dogs and walked around, and um, the students are in their finals week, so we just brought some dogs in, and they were having people, therapy dog teams, in throughout the whole week coming and just bringing dogs around and saying hi to people. So we'll share our therapy dog experiences after we come back from break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Hey dog show fans, does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. 
Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. How many times have you missed opportunities by waiting on the sidelines for perfect conditions? To be the right weight, have the right job, find the perfect partner. Meet writer, author, and motivational speaker Kara Richardson-Whiteley, who at 300 pounds climbed Mount Kilimanjaro for the third time. Kara joins Vicki to talk about getting off the sidelines, plus size confidence, live dream lifts, open trails, and adventures. Keep up with show news on Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And Tune in every Monday at noon right here on Alternative Talk 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Get your smile on with Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we've been talking about canine epilepsy with Nancy Bowman, who's the chair of the Epilepsy Subcommittee of the St. Bernard Club of America. You can find them on Facebook. If you search for canine epilepsy awareness, and there is more than one canine epilepsy awareness. So just look for the one with the picture of the St. Bernard, and that'll get you to Nancy and the work that they're doing to raise awareness about epilepsy and to um, help support the research that's going on to try to find the genetic marker. So we're going to we're going to talk about therapy dogs um but before we do I just wanted to announce um one of the one of my favorite events every year is the uh, Vashon Sheepdog Trials which this year um is in September Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, September 10th, 11th, 12th and 13th on Vashon Island. And this is a wonderful event. There's local food and vendors and it's on beautiful misty isle farms on vashon island and 
People are doing herding trials, sheep herding trials, with mostly border collies. And there's a few Australian Kelpies that participate as well. But it's a specific type of herding that they do. And uh, I've participated and sponsored the event through the radio show over the years. And uh, I'll be leading a panel discussion again this year with some of the handlers about the about you know the training and and all that you know really cool discussion about what they're doing on both Saturday and Sunday this year so mark your calendars for that um, I've announced this event um, on past shows even though it is in September schedules fill up quickly but I wanted to be sure to mention it today because the MC for the Vashon Sheepdog Trials Karen Moni um, actually just passed away last week and I saw that on their Facebook page the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, um, dear friend of Vashon Sheepdog Trials, fellow competitor and supporter of people and dogs in her community, and that uh, she will be missed. She, I always um, noticed what a fine job she did um, when I was there every year, being the voice of that event. She really, she had a very lovely voice and knew a lot about um, as a competitor as well about what, what all was going on and really helped to connect the crowd with what the um, handlers and dogs were doing. And I uh, just wanted to extend my condolences to her and her family mm. and community. She will be missed this year for sure. So, um, Nancy, I was at University of Washington, as I mentioned in the last segment, Darcy and I, Darcy was invited um, to bring some dogs to campus to provide some much-needed stress relief for students who are cramming for finals, which was kind of a trip to be back on a college campus during finals. It was bringing back memories, and I was like, man, I do not miss this, this part of college. I miss other parts of college, but not finals, that's for sure. And it was really so cool to see the, the some of the kids that really did connect with dogs. They would just go... Oh, you know, it just like sigh of relief that let their shoulders down and just come over and get some loving and kisses from these dogs. And I thought of you actually, because one of the dogs that we had was a greater Swiss mountain dog, um, beautiful, very large breed. And uh, we had a couple of kids who were like, is that a St. Bernard? And we're like, no. <laughs> um, but you, um, you did some therapy work with Tommy. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Tommy and I became a certified therapy dog team, and we did volunteer work once a week um, in Seattle. It was at a group home for foster children Mm. that had either uh, mental health or behavioral issues. Uh, We worked one-on-one with two different children for half an hour each, and it was absolutely amazing because some of these kids from their prior experiences had a lot of difficulty communicating or trusting adults. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Tommy would visit, he got so many hugs and kisses. And it was really interesting over the time that we spent with them um, to see the bond grow between the children and, and between Tommy. Yeah. You know, there's uh, we were talking on, um, during the break also about an organization that I've had on the show um, years ago now, but it was Courthouse Dogs and how they provide emotional support for children, um, mostly children in courthouse situations, like especially forensic interviews or whatever, when the young child is having to communicate something that they witnessed or something that happened to them that was emotionally traumatic. Um, And a lot of times they just, they won't talk to Mm -hmm. a strange adult 
but um, but that they'll a lot of times, you know, tell the dog what happened to them or, you know, it's really, really powerful to witness in all of these different ways, you know, with the work that you did with Tommy with foster kids and that just that ma- kind of magical connection that people can have with dogs. And I mean, there's all sorts of interesting info about that they change us. We have physiolog, you know, our bodies actually respond to, you know, the presence of an animal um, can anyway. I'm sure it might be a different response for an individual who's afraid of dogs, but you know, for those of us who have a connection with dogs or cats or whatever, that they're really so, so many benefits to it. And how rewarding it is to bring that, you know. Oh, absolutely that. rewarding. I can't wait to do therapy dog work again. And in fact, I have a puppy, I don't know if you can call him a puppy, he's 13 months right now. Mm-hmm. He acts like a puppy. Mm-hmm. I'm trying really hard to get him certified as a therapy dog, but I think I'm pushing things a little too fast. Yeah. He's 13 months? 13 months. Acts two months. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe needs a little more time to mature, I think huh? he needs a little more time, yes. Yeah. What are, um, just, we have just a couple minutes left. What are some, like, common, if you were to generalize about St. Bernard's, like, you know, what about what about the breed would you want people to know? St. Bernard's are very laid back, and they are very lovable. Um, St. Bernard's that are bred well have just lovely temperaments. They're like big teddy bears. They really are. And I've found, in general, they're excellent with children. Mm. Um you know, sometimes people think that with a big dog that size that you need acres and acres of land because they need to move so much. Well, the reality is you put a St. Bernard outside and he lays at the back door until you let him in again. Yeah. Yeah, they're slow. These larger breeds, I noticed this with the greater Swiss mountain dog. They're they're slow to move. You know, it's a lot of, lot of body to get up and, and about. So, well, um, you know, thank you for the work that you're doing and you know, out of your unfortunate, you know, horrible experience that you and your husband had to go through with Tommy, you know, that you're doing this work and hopefully going to bring some answers to us a lot sooner about canine epilepsy and help a lot more people and dogs out there. So again, the Facebook page is Canine Epilepsy Awareness. And just be sure to look for the one that comes up that has the picture of the St. Bernard. You can find us on Facebook as well. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and you can just click on the link that I've posted to their website or their Facebook page as well. Um, Just wanted to let you know our website recently got a makeover. Uh, It's been a few months now, but there's a section on the homepage, one of the boxes that you click for um, my favorite dog videos, which is super fun to watch. So there's a ton of them that fly around, but you can check that out and a lot of other cool stuff on our website, dogradioshow.com. Nancy, thanks so much again for your time today, and we'll be back live next Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.